Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. We all understand the concept of right person, right seat. But there's something else, the right stage. Now, as the company grows, the demand of each seat changes. And what is required from zero to five million will most likely shift on your journey to 10 million in revenue. So hiring ahead of that curve becomes the biggest challenge. It is important that in the early stages of the company, everyone in the organization identifies as a builder. Now, builders are people who have a deep desire to problem solve issues that have not even become identified and create systems from scratch. But as the business grows, the need for improvers becomes more critical, as they are the people who can scale to each milestone and beyond. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest people. We do so by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Dean Stoker. Now, Dean is the co-founder and executive chairman of the board of Alteryx, which he founded in 1997 and led the company through as CEO through October 2020, achieving solid organic growth and a successful IPO in March 2017. Dean's leadership and motivational skills, along with his ability to create, communicate, and realize a vision were a driving force behind the company's 20-plus year success. Dean also serves as an advisor to entrepreneurs. He's an active philanthropist and is passionate about humanizing the world of data science and analytics, which is evident in the company's culture, extensive resources for continued education, and efforts to influence social change, which is what makes Dean the perfect expert for today's topic. Dean, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, Rick. Uh, happy New New Year to you and all of your uh, viewers. Yes, and I'd even say Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2023. I'm so excited to kick it off with you, Dean. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Perfect. All right, well, we're going to talk a little bit about Dean's experience in what I like to call right person, right seat, right stage. So he's gone through the full life cycle from being, what, two to five people up to over 300 people. Yeah, we started with actually uh, three founders. Uh, and then I think this year we're ending at just about, uh, 3000, uh, 3000 heads, 3000 employees. See, we all inspire to do that same thing, right? Like that's the dream <laughs> or the nightmare. I'm not sure. <laughs> so we're going to talk about right person, right seat, right stage. And then we're going to talk about how to ensure that you have the right person at every growth stage. You're going to share some of that journey with us. So let's talk a little bit about the challenge that you had. What were the milestones and what were the kind of the biggest challenges you had from zero to like a million and then to that 10 million mark? Give me an idea of what you felt at those stages. Uh, well, every stage <clears throat> had its own set of, of challenges. I think early on, um, you know, I, I had to take stock of my own skill set and, and, and lack of skills <clears throat> and try and find people who who uh, complemented what I was not good at uh, and made me better at what I, I was good at. And that's always, you know, introspective. It's, it's hard to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs think that they know everything, which is why they're entrepreneurs. But the reality is uh, you don't know a lot about most of the things that you're going to face in in that first million dollars. And so for me, it was uh, early on, I was trying to find people who didn't necessarily have a, 
specific skill set. I, I wanted people who were more like me that had sort of generalist skill sets. <clears throat> people who could I could hand the ball off to and say, run it that way or run it this way or, you know, go long and let me throw it to you. Because every every uh, part of the, the build out from a million to five million to 10 million had different, you know, issues with whether it was software or UI UX or infrastructure or, <clears throat> you know, hiring systems. You know, everything was a challenge. And so I, I, rather than hiring specialists, I hired generalists who sort of had this the risk reward profile as a as a, a privately held company that had ambitions never had an ambition to go public but ultimately that's that's what happens when you you do this right uh, but I wanted people who had the same risk reward pro profile so that it was easier to hand off difficult challenges <clears throat> knowing that they uh, in, invariably, would accomplish it. Now, what were those difficult challenges? Like what were the kind of key points that you were facing at those stages? Well, I, early on it was it was trying to build a, a, a product that had a UI UX that customers would love. And without customers, it was, you know, somewhat of a challenge. So you need people who are creative, who are, you know, left brain, right brain skill sets, not overly indexed on data science and machine learning, not, you know, oversimplified in their view of how software uh, should work, but, you know, practical people who, who'd kind of seen it all. They'd been in sales, they'd been in customer support, they had been in product management. Uh, and that well-rounded skill set is who I ultimately hired. <clears throat> I hired a, a number of people early on that I would say weren't expert at anything, but they were incredibly good at lots of things. And um, to me, that was, that was the value in that first I would say five, maybe even up to 10 million. At the eight or nine, 10 million mark, things started to, to break down a bit. And you then have, you know, go to market problems. <clears throat> it's not so much about product, it's about, you know, how do you explain it to customers? And, and uh, what kind of a sales process are you going to embark on? And how do you uh, build a, a sales playbook that uh, is repeatable in as many ways as possible? I'm part of EO. I don't know if you've ever been part of that organization or YPO, but they talk about the valleys of death. You hit that $10 million level and you hit that valley of death. And I think that's where you really have to kind of plan for that valley of death and be able to kind of navigate that quickly and not drop off. Well, I think what, what happens is most entrepreneurs, <clears throat> um, they get excited about the peaks of enlightenment and they forget about the troughs of disillusionment. <laughs> and, you know, as, as, as a software company, uh, for any of the entrepreneurs listening who are in the software world, 75% of your, I won't use the word cost, but I'll use the word investment. 75% of your spend, your investment goes into people. So you should be spending uh, your time at least proportionally on making sure that you're hiring the best, you're, you're you know, uh, training them the most to, to keep them with you as long as possible. Because <clears throat> some of them will surprise you and they'll get through the 10 million mark and maybe the 50 million mark and maybe the 100 million mark. It gets, you know, the, the law of numbers aren't really on your side for that. But, you know, surprisingly, I, I had my first employee. Um, I'll leave her last name out, but Amy joined us in April of uh, 97 when we started the company. Uh, she had a great background. She was young. She was ambitious. She was she had a risk profile that was, you know, I, she moved from New York to California on a, a moment's notice and 
Uh, she took every challenge imaginable and she became one of the best leaders in the company. And I went to her retirement party just last week after 25 years. Nice. So it, it, it works if you find those generalists early who then she ultimately became a specialist over time, which is the other thing that clearly happens as you get bigger, you, you actually need people who have deep domain expertise. And uh, she ended up developing that skill. So you mentioned risk profile, right? So that to me means position, people who are positioned properly for the organization. So tell me, what does risk profile mean to you? Well, it's, it's, it's one thing if you are going to go work for a company where, you know, an IBM, even, even in today's, you know, more, more contemporary uh, software world of, of the, the Googles and the Facebooks or metas of the world, um, it's a safe place to be. Uh, going to a startup is not really a great place to be. You know, the death rate of, of startups is extraordinarily high. You know, a half a million businesses, well, actually post-COVID, 800,000 businesses start every year. Uh, after five years, most of them are gone. After six years, only, only 12 out of uh, every 10,000 companies that start, only 12 out of every 10,000 get to 6 million in six years. So the, the, the numbers are completely uh, against you. So you need to have people who, when they join a startup, realize that I'm going to be adding value. I'm going to take a risk. I might have to find a new job in a year because they might run out of money. Or in our case, we didn't raise money for 14 years. So it was even more of a risk. And, you know, this, this woman was brave as could be. She moved from New York on a moment's notice with a, a reasonable salary but not much of a safety net. And so you want people who kind of think like you, who are willing to take a gamble, who believe in your ideas, because most people won't. The, the shocking part is that for entrepreneurs, they you know, don't get hung up on believing in your own ideas. Make sure you find people who believe in your ideas. And that's the thing. And it's okay if people don't. Right. My mother-in-law didn't believe in my idea. <laughs> <laughs> she does she, now. That's why she charged me 15% interest rates when I went to borrow money from her. <laughs> You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Girard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources and your link to ordering your copy of Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your secret weapon to landing the strongest talent for your company. Our guest today is Dean Stoker. I'm going to kind of phrase this like the three R's, right? Right seat, right stage, right person, right? Hey, today's the right show. So we just talked a little <laughs> bit about some of the challenges that you uh, experienced. And now let's talk about how you solved that problem. So most of our audience are primarily entrepreneurs. And I'm thinking that zero to five million range is usually kind of where most of them are. How do we step out this process for them that they can actually solve this problem and be able to get ahead of the curve on this? Well, I, I, I think that <clears throat> as you scale, in the early, in the early going, I think it's reasonably manageable uh, when you have small teams and your span of control, you know, isn't, isn't gigantic, but as you, as you begin to scale, <clears throat> you really have to, to build a playbook for hiring. Uh, you really have to have a plan for uh, educating and training your, your teams in order to find out, can they get to the next stage? And so one of the, well, we did a few things. We, we spent a lot of money on, on, uh, program people that would come in and spend two or three days. Franklin Covey was one of them. And I, I, I would kind of hand select people in the company. This is 
probably when we were at about 50 or 60 heads. Mm-hmm. Now, remember that if the span of control is, I'll call it seven or eight, at, we, we often did it at nine or 10, which isn't necessarily healthy. But if you have a span of control of seven or eight, uh, you ha- if you have 50 people, you got to have seven at least really strong managers. And, and not just managing tasks, but leaders, people who are leading teams to the promised land. And so I spent a lot of time and money on on outside uh, contractors who would come in. And it gave me a chance to hand select 20 people to go, to go through an event to find out if, one, if they were even interested in leadership. Two, if they actually had, you know, the not just IQ, but the EQ for, for leading people. Because leading people is very different than building software or reviewing code or building a, a go-to-market playbook it, it it's you know le- leadership isn't about how many followers you have leadership is about how many leaders you can create and and that's just a different skill so i, I spent a lot of time and money on <clears throat> on figuring out uh who to opt out of of uh, leading teams and who were longtime holders for for leading teams and it's you when you don't have a ton of money to, to do this, you think maybe I shouldn't spend the money doing these kinds of things, but that's almost the most important thing you can spend your money on. As I said, yeah, 75% of your, your investment is in people. So you gotta, you gotta invest in them. I, I used to get into arguments with my previous, before we went public uh, CFO. And I used to say, Gary, I want to spend a ton of money on, on leadership training. And, and we did. But he said, "What? I, why would we do that, Dean? Because if we do, they might just leave. Uh, and I said, well, if we don't, they might just stay. And we don't want that. <laughs> I've heard that one before. And if they do stay, then what ends up happening? I mean, you stagnate your growth. Well, of course, you, get, you end up with a bunch of sixes. And all the, nine, all the nines you hired don't like it because, you know, nines never want to work for sixes. Nope. Uh, and then the nines leave and then then you're back to square one trying to figure out how do i bring in talent and it's hard you know the sixes often often destroy culture too and once that's done uh hiring becomes even harder as a as a, an early stage company i'm so glad you brought that up and then you'll see sixes will hire fours right then you've got this cycle of god forbid you become oracle or somebody like that right <laughs> well in, in my book i refer to it as the dark fucking swamp of despair <laughs> Be- because you can, you can get there really fast if you don't pay attention to the most important things and for any anyone who's building a software company it's it's all about people and um, it's not just the people who are buying your software but it's the people who are building your software supporting your software um, um, supporting uh, customers and you know just don't don't ignore that it's it's easy too because not a lot of people have the 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 uh, knack for hiring great talent. They hire friends. They hire somebody who they like, uh, and that that can be good in some cases, but it's generally not the the best approach, especially when you start to scale. I find that most companies end up hiring the person that will just say yes. I got somebody. I've got somebody interested in my company. They're going to join. Exactly. That educational piece, that growth component is so critical today in keeping people because one of the biggest complaints that I get when I call people to recruit them is that, 
hey, look, at I've got no place to grow. They're not investing in me. There's nothing that I can do outside of what I've been doing, and I need a change. And it becomes very easy for somebody like me to pull your nines out of your company, especially if you start filling it with underperformers that are setting the bar lower. Well, I think the, the other part of it is, is that you can't, you can't necessarily only harvest from within. I suppose if you're a slow grower, you, you probably can. But, you know, we were always growing at 25, 50, 75%. Even, even uh, Q3, I think our, our uh, uh, earnings call 75% uh, ARR growth. Well, that means you got to hire a lot of people and you can't necessarily uh, train all of the inside folks to get to that, that next level. So you got to have parallel paths where you're always recruiting from the outside um and and training and and promoting from from within because if you only go outside then you know it's definitely a culture killer i believe and if if you only hire from the inside you're probably not going to be able to hire fast enough in building teams what i'm pulling from this is you want to like hire nines and keep nines across the board you want to make sure that the risk reward profile matches yours and that you want to have them have the flexibility to be able to play any position and then go deep later on down the road when it calls for it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good call out. I, I, one of my mentors, uh, never met the man, but read about him quite a bit. A gentleman named Andre Geim, he invented graphene, uh, one Friday night. He used to have these Friday night experiments and he invented graphene that's used in computer chips. Um, but he said something that was really, really important. He said, most people make a mistake of going deep in their careers early. And then they regret it because, you know, they, they find out all the underbelly of the legal profession or the, the physicians or the coders or the accountants. And uh, he said, what you really should do is, is graze shallow. And I think that's, that's how you want to hire too. You want to hire people, especially in the early going, um, you want to hire people who have grazed shallow, who aren't really sure what discipline they want to embark on. So they're going to dabble in this and that and that, but they have the IQ and EQ to solve almost all of those issues. It's, it's later on in their careers where they begin to say, I really want to be a leader in tech support, which is fine. You need, you know, when you have lots of customers, there's going to be lots of tech support issues. So you need people who love that discipline. Um, so it, it's, it's about, it's about grazing shallow. And then later on, as you really start to scale, you have to have deep domain expertise. Now, when you're keeping your nines, right, your highly productive people, are you focusing on promotion? What is kind of your philosophy in and around that? Well, for, for me, the, I think the, the most valuable part of really strong leaders is, is their ability to align uh, strategy and, and tactics. One of my other uh, mentors was Sun Tzu. Never met him because it was thousands of years ago. But Sun Tzu, if you, if any of the entrepreneurs care about reading a, a in, an interesting book, get The Art of War for uh, Business or The Art of War for Leadership. And there's a, a bunch of these books. And he said that the strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory and tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And And, and I used to feel that at almost every stage. I felt it in different ways where you know part of my team was really good at strategic direction and they could they could paint the vision but they couldn't actually execute upon it or they were really good at executing against anything even the wrong things and, and so i in addition to training people how to be better leaders i also 
uh, had uh, offsites every year, and then quarterly follow-ups, and then monthly calls around what we called Bing Fa. A, a it was a strategy and tactics meeting. We spent three days, knock them down, drag them out, kind of get everyone's ideas out on the table, get alignment on what we're uh, going to be embarking on for the next 12 months, the next 24 months, and then having everyone uh, align their execution plans to that strategy. And so, so me, for me, it was making sure the nines could actually deliver the message to their headcount, their teams, uh, because if the team doesn't know what they're building, they're they're probably wasting a bunch of time and money and probably not having fun in their careers either. So fundamentally to the leadership was being able to cascade that message down so that you got buy-in and people were able to technically execute. Absolutely. Absolutely. But most people leave not because of money. Most people leave because of leaders. And if, if leaders aren't communicating the purpose, the purpose for why the company exists or the purpose of why we're building a product, if it's in engineering, uh, I, I think you just have a lot of people who, you know, they'll just look at it as a job and they'll turn, turn into drones and they'll wait to be told what to do. And you can't, if you're going to scale a company, you can't afford to, to do that. You've got to have leaders who are creating new leaders. And last thing you want is people with glassed over eyes, just kind of sitting in there tapping at their computers and not really, they're there, but they're not really there. Yep. They, they don't, they don't need to be told how to do something. They need to be told why they should be doing something. And and that's often left on the floor. Okay, so what I'm pulling out of this is you're building teams that can kind of get you to where you want to go. You have training and promotion is a key component to this. And then before that is actually, as you're in your infancy stage, taking stock of your own skills and making sure that you're augmenting your skills so that essentially you got people who can kind of fill in the gaps for you. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's a hard part because I, I think most entrepreneurs think they have it all covered. We want to do everything. <laughs> yeah, the reality is it gets harder and harder. And while you have to know a lot about a lot in the early going, over time, you have to know a little about everything. And But it's, it's the self-awareness that, that founders typically have to go through and I think I would I would imagine that most of the people who fail in in startups, it's because their uh, hiring models aren't really very good. How did you know when you were starting to get somebody who wasn't necessarily going to be the right person in that seat anymore? When did you hit a point where you were saying, "Okay, look at this person can't take us from ten to twenty million"? I actually think that's sort of the magic of hiring is, if because you can find the the right uh, person. And it might be the right job, but um, you might say to yourself, I'm going to hire them, but I know they're only going to last for two years. Because almost every, at, at almost every level or every stage of growth, I had to change my entire leadership team. At, at 10 million, I did it. At 25 million, I did it. Almost 30 million is really when I, when I did it. Uh, I did it at 50 million. I did it even at Right before our IPO, I changed my entire leadership team the, the few months before and the, actually the 30 days after the IPO, changed my entire leadership team. And that's sort of scary on one hand, but on the other hand, you like these people for sure. They got you to that next milestone, but you kind of knew they weren't going to get you to the next one because it requires just a, 
a different level of skill. It's when you start going from a generalist into a specialist and, and you've got to have, if you're going to have a deal desk, for example, you've got to have people who know everything about the deal process and, and lots about the finance and, and revenue recognition process. You can't have people who dabble in that, especially as you, as you become a public company. So I think it's important to, and I used to, I used to do all of the onboarding meetings for every employee for, for years and years and years. And I would tell them, I, I know you're not going to be here forever. I hope you, you can be here forever, but I, I, I suspect you won't be. But while you're here, I'm going to make you the best you can possibly be. And if, if we continue to grow, there'll be lots of opportunities. So don't ever leave because there's not an opportunity. But I think it's important to, to try and isolate how long you think somebody's going to be with you. That'll help you know whether or not they are the right hire. That's a perfect example, like being able to share that, hey, look, you changed at your leadership how many times before you went public? Four, five times? Four times. That's a great thing for us to just be aware of, that it's okay and you should be looking at what's best for the business, not what's best for the people. You you, you can, you know, there's lots of mobility too for, for employees. I mean, just because they're in one role today doesn't mean they, they can't take another role. Um, you know, that, that woman I mentioned, our first uh, employee, Amy, she had probably over the, her 25-year career with us, 15 roles. Wow. And the, the last one was the longest. It was probably five years, maybe six years. And she hired more people than most of the rest of the company. And she promoted more of them. They, she, gave, she, she became a, a leader of leaders. And so it can be done. It's just, yeah, I, I think that it's important for you to, to not just say, this is a good person and, and they'll, they'll do a good job. It's how, how long are they going to do a good job? And you want them, you don't want them to be stagnant either. If they're really that good, you want them rotating into, you know, jobs that have more criticality uh, for the company and, and more uh, people to, to, to lead. And more criticality to them as well. Yeah, exactly. That's such a great point. Shoot, we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? Well, again, I, I think first and foremost, entrepreneurs need to take stock of their own skill set, hire around uh, those weaknesses, uh, try and find generalists who who can make you better at your generalist skills and, and the ability to hand you know specific problems off to other people because you know the CEO's most important role is to um, make the company survive lo- survive long enough until you find the right product market fit and you can't always be doing everything if you're gonna uh, if you're supposed to be doing that that thing um, and then I, I think you gotta invest in your people you gotta if you hire them um, they're the they're your most important asset and more important than the product you're building and invest in them. Some will make it and some won't just like businesses. And, uh, but if you don't invest, you're, you're going to have trouble for sure. I've never heard anybody complain about the fact that the company invested in me. Yes, I left, but like it was a bad experience. You know, they're still going to hold you in high regard because of the fact that you did invest to them, even though they didn't work out. Well, I, to me, the most gratifying part of, of, building Altrix is when people have left, they write great things of, about Altrix or people who, another gentleman I had in my, in my book, by the way, I, I have a book that talks about some of these things too. 
It's called uh, Masterpiece, The Emotional Journey to Creating Anything Great. I mentioned another gentleman, Jim Shatton, joined us, I think it was 2004, I think it was 2004, and uh, he left about 15 years later, 16 years later. Uh, he joined as a sole contributor because he was sort of a specialist, and, and at the time, I needed a specialist, not a generalist. He actually then became a phenomenal leader. We put him through lots of leadership training, and he just had a great balance of IQ and EQ. And by the time he left, he had uh, about 300 people reporting to him. And, and when, he, when he left, he became a um, uh, chief, I, th I think it was a, a chief engineering officer at, at another uh, uh, machine learning company. Just a, a, great, a great story. So it, it works. It works, but you got to invest in folks. So very true. Dean, thanks so much for your time and investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, find the book, all that good stuff? Uh, the book's on Amazon. Um, all the money from the book goes to uh, helping our associates that have now left Kiev. We had about uh, 50 employees that were in Kiev. We've relocated them to Warsaw. Um, good lessons in, in the book, but you can also reach out to me. I'm happy to consult with, with any of the, the uh, entrepreneurs who are wondering how it's supposed to happen or challenges you might be facing. I don't charge for my services. It's a, an opportunity for me to figure out how to leverage my own balance sheet. Um, and so you can reach out at uh, dstoker, S-T-O-E-C-K-E-R at alterix.com. And uh, some of you I might say no to, depending on the industry or the, you know, expertise in, in your space. Um, but if it's a SaaS business, uh, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic to almost any industry if it's SaaS based, because I've got lots of learnings there for sure. It is a great resource. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you. We want to continue to bring you valuable content week after week. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Keith Fiscus. Keith is the CEO of Innovative Career Resources and Staffing. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Jerome.